Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, thank you for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Hayley Lamb, former head teacher and coach for both educators and students. If you've listened to any other episode, you'll probably know how much I bang on about personal development, self-discovery, coaching and being self-aware. And I honestly feel like having someone to talk to in this way, someone who challenged my thinking, it could have saved me as a teacher. It wouldn't have been forever though, because I was born to do what I do now and, and I'm so grateful as well for the privilege to help teachers by facilitating your access to new knowledge that can help you in your teaching journey and also to provide resources that will help you gain a better life-work balance. So during the chat, Hayley and I put the world to rights, talking about working and being a mother, labels that we are given and we give ourselves, unrealistic expectations and three tips that Haley put forward that you can try out to strike a healthier balance. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe or follow the Teachers Podcast on your preferred listening platform so that you can keep up to date with new episode releases. I'm also on Twitter as at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP, so I look forward to you connecting with me on there. Let's get to my interview with Haley. Haley, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Thank you for having me. So we've got lots and lots to talk about. I'm really excited about what you're going to share today. So before we get into all that, do you want to tell me everything that is important to know about you um, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. So I started off teaching English in Thailand. Um, I think I was about just straight after uni, went went out to Thailand traveling and ended up teaching. Um, in private schools out there which was pretty cool um, sort of submerged into the the local culture straight away so it was brilliant moved back to UK and did my PGCE followed that route um, taught in a primary school in the UK and then got the bug for traveling again um, went abroad started to work at an international school in Dubai um, worked in Egypt for a little bit back to Dubai um, and throughout sort of teaching absolutely loved every sort of aspect of sort of the, the children and the teamwork and that kind of thing and obviously supporting the children to learn um, and then in the schools in Dubai worked my way up through sort of leadership um, so I was really lucky um, to become deputy head um, in one of the schools that I've been part of um, sort of the setup stages so that was a brand new school when I started it um, started off as key stage two lead Um, and ended up as deputy head and I think at that point we had 2,500 children in our primary school wow so we had 80 classes um so oversaw sort of teaching and learning for the whole school um and I was the well-being lead um, for all of the children and parents and staff which was which was a pretty cool role to have as well um, and then in 2017, left that role because I was asked to set up a, a school for a local family um, who was set up a brand new school. Um, so I was asked to be head. Um, so I set that up from the ground up. So that was pretty cool as well. So negotiating with architects, um, mm-hmm. designing inside and outside spaces, getting to know families, um, designing curriculums, uh, that kind of thing. And I think 
you know, for me, the biggest part of that was building the relationships with the children uh, that were coming into the school, with the parents and also with the new teachers and you know, interviewing and uh, training and that kind of thing. It was it was a very sort of challenging time, but exciting mm. at the same time. And, and, you know, being there from the day that they break ground to the sort of the first day of school was just so exciting and really rewarding. Um, and then in 2019, we made a move back to the UK um, for family reasons. And at that point, I just thought, if I don't do it now, if I don't set my company up now, I'll never do it. Um, so sort of as when I was deputy head at the school um, with the with the 80, class, 80 primary classes, um, as well as that, I was sort of the coach within school. And so I've done lots of coach training, um, used to have sort of afternoons where my door would be open for people to come and, and be coached if they wanted it or sort of just quick coaching conversations in the corridor and I was sort of named as the person to go to if you wanted a chat um, and really enjoyed it really sort of saw the benefits how it supported the staff um, and ultimately mm. resulted in supporting the children um, you know giving the staff that, that five ten minutes that they needed an hour sometimes really impacted upon their teaching and learning back in the classrooms and I think you know for me when I was head um I was a little bit more restricted as to how much time I could give away but also with everything else that I had to do in a brand new school um at that point I was the only person in the primary team with is with sort of leadership capacity everybody else was class-based without any sort of extra management points and things going out um and like the time for me to coach got less and less and I realized how much I missed it um, mm -hmm. which is why I've got my own coaching business now um, and I love it uh, every day is different um, I, one day I could be coaching a group of students and the next running coach training sessions for schools and coaching SLT members in the afternoon so it's it's really cool and, and really different on a day-to-day -day basis but ultimately for me it, it's a goes back down to supporting the, sh the children in the end so the children benefit from it um you know because it, it you know supporting the people who are teaching them or supporting the leaders who are supporting the teachers so um real great impact really yeah um i find it really interesting what you're saying because I, I think i um I think I had a certain mindset around coaching when I was a teacher, whereas I have a different mindset around it now. Now I'm a business leader and it's thought of very differently. How important do you think it is for teachers to have a coach, to, to have access to a coach? From, again, from my experience of, of working with teachers, working with leaders, um, working with students, the whole point of coaching is about that time and space to think. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. So, so life is very fast paced. We are all very fast paced and we are so used to making in the moment decisions, you know, especially with the whole sort of everyone's life is on their phone and they scroll through and it's instant. We, we've, we've become the people who have to have like an instant solution to something or an instant mm -hmm. answer. And that's not always the case. Sometimes you just need to have that time to either talk things through with somebody or um, that safe space, really. And, and a lot of the times when someone's coaching you, they only have to ask a couple of questions and the person comes up with the solution themselves anyway. Yes. Um, you don't necessarily have to do a lot of sort of deep digging with your questions. Um, it's just that sort of getting used to thinking 
I, I think a lot of people don't think and it, it, it's not obviously they do at a surface level but I don't think a lot of people give time to thinking because it takes time um, yes but they would invest that time in marking books or they would invest that time in putting a display up but they won't necessarily invest that time in themselves so sometimes it's not just about thinking either is it so we can we can think that we're in control and we've got it sorted and we're okay by doing but we might also at a deeper level sort of think some of the of the solutions that we might come to through coaching but think that we shouldn't move forward on them because maybe it's selfish or um other people would think that was not right whereas I feel like in a, in a coaching situation sometimes I feel like I'm asked a question and give an answer that I already know the answer to but somebody else is telling me that's okay and that that's allowed and you're allowed to feel that way or or you can be not selfish but what might feel like selfish do you agree yeah I think it's the empowerment of it so I always say that coaching is like holding the mirror up to somebody and for somebody to say certain words they can't unsay them they can't unhear themselves say something out loud to somebody else and the amount of reactions I've had where people someone's like oh I can't believe I just said that but it's okay but it would never have been okay if they hadn't have said it out loud to me sort of thing mm-hmm. um so obviously in coaching there's you know anything goes and they can say what they want and it, you know, I'm not going to judge them um and I do always say that at the beginning of, of sessions, which I think puts people a sort of in a comfortable position where maybe they do share and they do open up. Um, but yeah, definitely that whole sort of thing of in the past, they may not have even considered a certain thing, but because now they're being coached and asked a question on it, it's okay to talk about themselves or put themselves first. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the past, they wouldn't have done that. Um, and th- there's lots of different tools and techniques that I use as coach um, to sort of help get the answers out and, and, and to support somebody and I do find teachers do enjoy a little bit of a post-it activity or a timeline or being creative and a lot of the time it's our inner self-talk as well that's holding us back or, or telling mm-hmm. us that we can't do something or we shouldn't think in a certain way um the word the amount of times I've heard the word shouldn't or should I should be doing this or I shouldn't yeah. be doing this or and I always say should in accordance to who because you know and naturally we do compare ourselves and we we've got this sort of thing of we should be doing this at this point in our lives or I should be doing this as a teacher or you know yeah. work-life balance I should be doing this and it's really not helpful so I'll I will always pick up on somebody's use of language in a coaching session and say it back to them and again it, the amount of times that it's been quite unsettling for somebody to realize what words they're saying about themselves or yeah the language they're using Dr. John D. Martini talks about when you use words like should and could, you are trying to live someone else's values instead of your own. And you are um, trying to embody them because you think that you you should or, or it's a social idealism that you're trying to fit into. And I always think that's really interesting rather than saying I want to or I love um, or I do this because kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it very interesting. I think one of the hardest things for teachers is realizing that they need space to think. And I know as a teacher, if somebody has said to me, well, you you just need this half an hour and then it will help you with the rest of your life. And I'd be like, no, it won't. 
marking my books for an extra half an hour will help me the rest of my life and I think that can be the hardest um first stepping stone and I think it's only now as a business leader that I've realized how helpful it actually is with the rest of your life um but it, it it's really hard to make that first step I think definitely it's that sh- it you know it's short term versus long term and if you don't know what to expect from coaching then no wonder people haven't put themselves out there and and you know got involved like a lot of schools now are being proactive and dependent upon who's sort of head or in senior leadership coaching is being thrown around a lot more and there's a lot more understanding about its benefits um, and, and and also sort of its empowerment really I think a lot of people in the past maybe thought it was very similar to counselling um, and maybe it had sort of stigma attached to it whereas now I think people realise it's very much an empowerment thing and a goal get a goal setting and go getting sort of um, thing to do really uh, but even from my background I when I was teaching in Egypt we had the, the school decided we were going to sort of have the coach approach I can't remember exactly what it what it, sort of the ins and outs of it were now but I remember having sort of an hour, a one hour CPD about coaching and then we were all apparently coaches and yeah and it was just I remember thinking oh gosh this is another sort of lip service thing where you know we're meant to do this thing and it was a, a new thing and you know what to be honest with you I didn't do it I didn't no. do it so the, my first experience of coaching was quite negative because I didn't understand it I was never really taught the reasons behind it or shown how to do it it was very much a coaching is this off you go which meant it didn't happen yeah which is why when I train schools now in the coach approach so I'll run sort of coaching skills for educational leaders we will do it slow and steady so they will have their sessions with at least two weeks between each one so that they can go away and practice and implement the skills Mm -hmm. and they're taught the skills from the bottom up so they're taught the first thing we do is listening skills so we don't go straight into sort of coaching models or anything like that it's all about understanding themselves and I also say you know you can only meet your clients or your coaches as far as you've met yourself so it's really important that you actually practice in these sessions in the practice sessions with real life things and the amount of fabulous feedback I've had back from schools that I've said wow like we're not just learning to be mini coaches in school but we're also learning a lot of things about ourselves as well yeah which is great so I I also think you know what you have to be doing it so I um I I mentor some some of my colleagues and we sort of rolled out a bit of a program and it was important to me that, that those people first had a coach um, and then when those people are ready, then they will move on and, and start coaching somebody else. Um, but I also think you have to have had experience with it as well and have changed yourself. How can you ask somebody to change and, and make differences in their lives if you're not willing to do it for yourself as well? Definitely, definitely. It's um, a good example of that is I, I coach a lot of women um, tend to attract educational women who who've got families who come to me for sort of work-life balance that kind of thing mm-hmm. and actually only the other week I had um, I don't know how I managed to get such a big backlog of washing but there was <laughs> and I tipped it all out onto my bed to sort out um, all the clean washing and I was just like 
what am I doing? It's a Saturday. Why should I be doing this on a Saturday? And I had a, a Dyson Airwrap thing for your hair a couple of years ago for Christmas and I've never actually got around to using like the curling thing on it you know third world problems and all that and I was literally like (laughs) I you know what I'm gonna do my hair and I sat there and I did my whole Dyson hair thing and I was like yeah obviously I didn't have anywhere to go we're in lockdown but I was like (laughs) I've done my hair and I'm doing this and I didn't touch the washing I just left it there it's fine because I just thought you know actually because what would I you know in a a session this is the kind of thing that some of my clients would bring to me yeah as as sort of you know not having time for themselves or not putting themselves first I thought no I'm going to do it because I could see it happening I could see what I was doing and I was like no I'm not getting caught in that whirlwind let's stop it right now (laughs) so yeah Yeah. the, the washing did get sorted but not that day but not only that as well like all those chores for, for every one thing that you might do for yourself maybe you've got 10 chores and you'll always find another one before you get to that thing for yourself of course so definitely you, you have to make an appointment with yourself don't you oh I like that yeah you do you do you have to actually say you know what I'm doing this and, it, and it's that it's that thing of saying you know, I do sort of parent coaching as well as, as educational coaching and I'll say you know you've got your the, the, the rights of a child and they're publicized everyone knows them but actually we have rights as parents as well or as te- you know you've got the rights of an of an adult what's within a relationship or within a work mm. relationship or whatever and you do have the right to be able to go and do something that makes you happy or brings a smile to your face or aids relaxation or whatever it is um so it's, it's like oh shall I spend another hour marking books even though it's 10 o'clock at night or do I actually need to go and have a shower no you need to go and have a shower because yeah. that's sort of you know if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs where does have you know is marking books on there no it's not no and 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 having having time to really rest and and things definitely so difficult because the books still do, do need marking it's hard to um it's hard to come to a place especially especially if you've got leaders who who don't really understand that um and and know that it needs to be done anyway and there is no leeway it's hard to kind of get into the mindset of well actually if I had a shower and I got up you know rather than getting up really really late because I'm going to bed really late if I got up a bit early then I might do it faster because I'm not really really tired now it's it's knowing yourself isn't it and knowing when you best work and, and and one thing that I will always say to clients is even having like a physical hat and saying you know or, or say I, I, you know I've got a client who will put a particular cardigan on and if she's got that cardigan on then she's in teacher mode but if she's got you know she puts something else on then that she's her and then she's not going to yeah. let it encroach that and especially with all a lot of this working from home um, you know teachers have always taken books and things home to mark anyway in planning but now it's even worse yeah so it's just being mindful of maybe having a particular place in the house where mm. you might do that but not letting it encroach your personal other personal space so you know sit on a particular chair in the living room but not on another one and then maybe avoid that chair for the rest of the evening or whatever you know again I'm not here to tell people what to do but it's just about thinking what's right for you it is having suggestions and solutions isn't it yeah. and one thing I say so I um I was recently a guest on a podcast about about life work 
balance as, as a mother, really, I suppose. Um, and one of the things I said was that, and I think teachers have this ability in some form because they work from home in some areas, but especially when you have children, he's constantly reassessing the situation. So when your children are young, you think like, um, I, I saw in a Facebook group the other day, somebody said, um, how annoying is it when um, somebody calls a child 24 months, the two? Um, and someone else had said, oh, well, it's because they, because they develop so much in that time. And it is true, you know, children, especially when they're young, develop a lot. So what works um, one month might not work three months down the line. So it's important to always reassess. But it's not just about if you have children, is it? It's it's all the time. And that's something I do a lot. Like I look at my life and my work in it. And I'm like, is this working for me? What doesn't work? Does it work for me to um, say, okay, well, I only do my work in the kitchen and then the lounge is a place I don't work. Does it work for me to only have this chair? Does it work for me to say, okay, no matter what I've done, I'm going to close my laptop at 7 p.m.? Does it work for me to say, right, okay, these nights off, I have a rest? It's, you just got to try the things yeah. out, haven't you, as well? I so, so had a conversation with a client the other day, and, and she was found herself working most nights, and, and it, she was sort of angry because mm. she was having to do it, and it was getting a sort of angry at the job and at the kids and you know you name it she wasn't in a, in a particularly good place and when we spoke about looking at working from at home as to whether it's in service of you or not and making that choice is it you know is it in service of me if I do an hour's work tonight yes or no she's now still doing some work at home but she feels like she's in charge of it because she's asked that question like is it in service of me yeah. And sometimes, yeah, it is. Yeah, if, you, if you're on a bit of a roll, yeah, it's in service of me. I'll do it tonight. Is it in service of me tomorrow night? No, because I actually want to go to that gym class or no, because I'd like to put the kids to bed or whatever it is. Um, and just ask yourself that question. And, and like you say, the marking and stuff still needs to be done, but you can be a, a little bit flexible with when you do it or make it suit you or get up early in the morning or work for your lunch or whatever it is. It's, there's yeah. ways and means of, of, of getting it all done finding the the times where you will be the fastest and most efficient yeah, that's what it's um, about isn't it yeah and doing it then yeah. um is it your plan to um possibly to return to headship or teaching don't know but i'll be very honest um i absolutely loved teaching um and even as i had i still taught um so i made sure that i was still um had had some teaching on my timetable so to speak um just because I didn't want to lose touch with that um which was great and also it meant I could try out techniques and that kind of thing um but do I do I return one day I don't know I, who knows what the future will bring as it stands at the minute I'm loving what I'm doing um if ever it came a time where I stopped loving what I was doing or I really missed working with the children as a, as a class teacher style thing or as a head I don't know and I've always said that I've always been very open and honest about it. Uh, there was nothing about my previous roles that I didn't like. I absolutely loved being a head teacher. I think it made it easier to leave because we were moving countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just a little no, bit easier. Well, I had no choice. I had no choice. Yeah. And so I didn't want to sort of be on my deathbed 
when I'm 80, hopefully. Um, and um, so I wish I'd have tried setting up my company. Um, yeah. and, and, and for me now, I can say I've done it um, probably at the most trying time. Yeah, I was COVID. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's successful. And, I, and again, I, when I look back to sort of the impact, so for me, for, from a values base, as long as my values are being met, then I'm happy. And, you know, my values are love and care and support. And I've, every time I do a values test, I tend to come out with sort of the same ones. Um, but when I think of like what I do now and I think, well, actually it's got a big knock on effect with everybody I'm working with, because, you know, if I'm coaching the head teacher, then that's a knock on effect to the senior leaders, to the class teachers, ultimately to the children in the school. Um, the, the workshops that I run with young people in schools, that's a direct impact on them. Um, so a lot of the workshops I'll run are from like a well-being perspective or a confidence and self-esteem boost perspective. And yeah, it's it's I'm loving it at the minute. Um, but who's to say? You know, you never know. Yeah, you never know, but it's good to good to have open options as well. Um I won't return to teaching, but that's because I I just really love this. Um yeah, but I've been doing it a long time. Um okay. So you've mentioned then in your information that you sent through that you've had a lot of highs and lows um, through your coaching and your mental health training. If you could give teachers three sort of little tips or tools that they could try that that would help them enjoy teaching again or have more of a life balance or maintain good mental health, what, what would they be? The first one I would say is listen to yourself. So listen to your body listen to your mind if something doesn't feel right follow the scent of it go with it talk about it um you know very often mental health problems arise when somebody's become quite closed book or um keeps going because they should mm-hmm. um and yeah. obviously i'm using that word as, as discussed earlier um whereas actually stop and think is this right? Should I be feeling like this? And sort of name how you're feeling um, and, and ultimately get out of that learned helpless state that sometimes we find ourselves in and and do something about it. And, and ultimately talking to somebody initially will, will start that process off. I think what's important to remember about that as well, you know, when you say listen to yourself and say it out loud, sometimes you might have to do that a lot. Um, I realised that when, um, when I had my first child, I actually had placental abruption, um, which was a bit of a shock, really. And everything was fine and she was fine. But because that was such a shock, I realised that I talked my husband to death about that for 18 months. And when I looked back on it, that was me coping with it and and not ending up with a mental illness. So it's important to know that you should talk about it, but just once might not be enough. Definitely, definitely. So my the reason I say about talking and sharing and being open and honest when I was deputy head I had my second child and out in out in the Middle East you don't get matern- the same sort of maternity packages and things that you get in the UK so mm-hmm. I had six weeks off with with Henry and I went back to work when he was six weeks old wow. um, and at the time I I know now I've coached the hell out of myself. Like I, at the time I was carrying labels such as um, successful 
successful um, leader, mm. um, top of the class is a label I'd carried from childhood, bright, will go far, will be driven, you name it. I was carrying all of these labels that were either given to me or I'd given myself which meant to me that I couldn't say, oh, I just want to be a mum for a bit. Yeah. Because, you know, I was deputy head. I wasn't going to give that up for a baby. Mm. And because of my labels. And so I went back to work. At no point did anyone ever ask me the question of like, are you okay? Are you sure you should be back here? Is this right? Yeah. Um, which leads me to another thing, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um and I kept going and going and going. And it wasn't actually until I went on a coach training course. This was sort of my second exposure to coaching. And I was working with an older lady who had sort of grown up children. And she said to me, she said, do you realize that every time you mention your little boy, you pull on your hair? And I'd not noticed it at all. And what I realized was that I was not in a good place. I didn't know it at the time, but I wasn't in a good yeah. place. And I had this mum guilt. And I had this newborn baby at home, but I had this deputy head job and I was top of the class and I was efficient and I was really good. You know, there's all of these labels that I was trying to adhere to, but at no point did I, did I put the label of like, I just want to be a mum. Yeah. And, and I, and I, you know, got to the end of that academic year. Well, I got to the end of that academic year and then ended up being a, a head teacher in another school. But I don't, you know, it's, I think I was on the treadmill then and I couldn't get off it mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't want to admit to what, to that these labels weren't serving me well. Yeah. It, it, and at no point did I consider that you could be both. Obviously I was being a mom. It wasn't like I ignored my child. I don't mean it like that, but yeah, it, it was actually looking back. No, I wasn't ready to go back to it because he was six weeks old yeah. And and it's that thing of actually my long-term plan, ultimate goal would be to make coaching compulsory for anybody who's had a child. Um, yes. I would love that. If I, if I could get that off the ground, I think your values change so much when you've had, when you're pregnant and when you've had the baby and then as the baby gets older, your values continuously change. You change as a person, your time changes yeah and, and and all of these things are you are changing so drastically yet you are expected to sort of seep back into where you left off whereas if you sort of broke your leg or something people you know there'd be things in place to support you back getting back into work yeah whereas you've had this baby and it's like yeah back to it off you go carry on I would I would be so into part of that I'm um I'm working with a coach at the moment and we're talking a lot about values and purpose. And I, so I had my eldest four and a half years ago and I've come to the realization that my values changed that long ago and I haven't figured out properly yet what they are now because, and, and I really believe that you're completely right. We, we, we kind of lose ourselves and we're like, hang on, I don't, what? <laughs> Yeah. can't even put it into words it's not that you're a different person and it's not that you don't want to do what you're always doing and you don't love it but maybe you just need to look at it differently and I remember when, when my eldest was born I really struggled with the loving the business and also loving the child it was yeah it's a hard very strange thing yeah it's hard it's really difficult and if you don't stop and reflect then you can be living your life according to your old values yeah. 
and then wondering why every day you feel unhappy or you or something doesn't feel right um it, it, honestly every time I've ever done value work with a client I always get that whole like oh moment when they realize like oh that makes sense now or oh that that make you know I understand now why this I'm feeling like this and it's I always say to parents who you know who are teachers as well it's each to their own you know it's up to you to decide what's right for you but what's right one minute might not be right sort of a year later or a year after that or you know I've got this this lady who I work with and she swears by the fact that as her children got older she wanted to work less because she found that they needed more as they got into into their teens and I know other people that Mm. are the other way around and and it's all according to your values and what's right for you and your family as well without losing your own identity as a person or your identity as a teacher or, or, or whatever it is like who are you yeah it's, it's so tricky isn't it and I think that's that's what motherhood does to you as well or, or even fatherhood it makes you go but who am I I don't know who I am I it's who am yeah, I it's true I actually said to my husband yesterday and I love my I love my boys so much um, and I actually said to my husband yesterday, I cannot wait until we can just go to like a country pub and have a Sunday dinner and go for a walk. And I would like to just be me, just me. <laughs> I don't want to be me like positive you, my business. I don't want to be me, mummy. I don't want to be me who does some lecturing. I'd just like to be me. How old are they? They are five and seven. Yeah, you've still got a long way to go, haven't you? I Not know. as long as me, but you know, a long time still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest I would like to get to the point where because they're two and four we could actually go to a restaurant and you know feel like I don't want to say relaxing experience because I feel like that you know that's just like maybe too out of reach <laughs> but maybe more of a positive experience I'm not sure to be honest you'll get there one day you will we're not getting a lot of practicing right now. Well, we? no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so I asked you three three things. So we've got listen to yourself, and then we went on we went off on this wonderful track, which I think was really important to talk about. So, what are you were the two? Hmm. Be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And your values, I suppose we could put that one in there. Yeah. And try something new and by that what I mean is so many people are stuck either stuck in their ways or stuck in their thinking that they you know in the sort of the saying you can't see the wood for the trees Mm. because you're not necessarily looking for it or you're not used to looking for it so when I uh, you know I'll say try something new you might actually like it or you might like and, and back by that it could be a new approach a new hobby a new way of doing things a new way of marking, a new way of planning, you know, I don't know, go and sit in a coffee shop and plan. It might not feel as bad than if you're sitting at home or, you, or you, might, you might get it done faster, might you, if you're not yeah. maybe distracted or something. I probably wouldn't personally because I'd just people watch, but there are some people who would, there are people who would find that quite relaxing or, you know, and again, it, try something new, this, this, this the, the big school that I used to be at. Um, we used to, as part of our well-being, have try something new weeks where the staff 
would all I would coordinate it and I'd ask the staff to come forward and nominate themselves to put on sort of workshops during our CPD time so through, across the whole school I think we had about 200 no more than that because I had well I had 160 TAs and teachers in primary then we had the secondary school so we were 4,000 kids total wow uh, so maybe say 250 staff and so across the whole staff primary and secondary we used to put these try something new days on for the staff and we would have people teaching each other how to hair braid do exercise classes you name it but the rule was you had to sign up for something you didn't know how to do mm-hmm. and the amount honestly the the amount of positive feedback we used to have from that we used to do it once a term it was great because people had actually put themselves out there and tried something new yeah. and, and actually trying something new or learning is one area of well-being they say they say for you to sort of fulfill your well-being you should be continuously learning yeah um, or or have that feeling of learning it could be to read a book but why not mix things up a little bit and and do the try something new but we also did it with the students as well so the students would also sign up for things throughout the week or teach each other things which sort of add a little bit of spice into things um but again, it was it was ticking that box of well-being. And I don't mean it as a tick box activity, but it was getting people yeah. used to putting themselves out there and having a go with something that they never would have considered. Because once you do that, then you'll start to think about options and thought processes and, and all of that kind of thing. And maybe get to the point where people can actually coach themselves. Mm. I think um, in teaching, if you only want to be a class teacher and you don't want to progress upwards it's easy to think really well once you've done your pgc i've done your training that's it because actually there's not a lot of funding for cpd and things and it's easy for us to think oh well i don't need to keep learning i don't have time but actually learning is growing and if we don't grow we're dead <laughs> no it's true though isn't it because i will i always say that to my two boys like because they'll say well, what you're doing i'm like oh mommy's learning or mommy's having a go with this and even last night <laughs> so random I was watching this random drama on Netflix because I love a little bit of Netflix binging and there was a they had like cinnamon rolls Mm -hmm. and I actually said to my husband I was like I'm gonna have a go of making them this weekend yeah and it was it was because I don't know how to do it so it's you know it doesn't have to be it doesn't always have to be learning around your job it can be learning in anything anything that might bring you joy yeah yeah if that be cooking or anything like that um so the, the the second one he said be true to yourself and your values so how would someone go about figuring out what the values are what i there's a, there's some really great tools online um sort of value value finder value tracker that kind of thing uh, there are some really great tools that you can do i with my coaching clients i've got values cards that i get out and use and, and get them to have a look some people might just know what they are yeah. um, just by knowing what sits right with them, what's important to them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good thing to have a conversation around what you do tend to find with, uh, with relationships, um, sort of both intimate and professional, is that if a relationship doesn't seem to be working out, it quite possibly is because the values aren't aligned. Yes. Um, it doesn't have to be all of the values, but what I always say to young people when I'm coaching them is if you've, you know, all of a sudden start falling out with a friendship group or not getting on with a friendship group anymore, it's probably because maybe one of you've changed or your values have changed and that's okay. Um, yeah. 
and it makes it a little makes it land a little bit better than oh we're just not friends anymore or even down to sort of relationship breakups and things it's oh well our values are different yeah no you can't change you can't change you, you some people live their lives to other people's values but you can't change your values really and you shouldn't want to you should want to be yourself as well definitely and, and understand that um nobody on the planet is going to have the same values in the way you do and that's why you're unique otherwise we wouldn't need you because there'd be two of you exactly exactly and I think even down to teachers looking at potential new jobs or going into a leadership position for me I would always say you know what are the val- what are the the values of the school what are the, the the apparent values of the school so you know what are the ones that they're they're advertising and what are the real ones because sometimes they're very different mm. um you know what are your values and are they aligned because yeah. if not you could be setting yourself up for a fail straight away if going into a workplace that's not going to suit you I feel like that brings us really nicely onto um, this question. So um, what do you feel is the biggest cause of teachers struggling with mental health and low self-esteem? Honestly, I think it's quite possibly a lot to do with labels that they've given themselves or that they're given. Um, So a lot of the time we will give ourselves a label. I know we discussed labels earlier. Um, So you're a great teacher. Or an outstanding teacher, that's a, that's a really uh, great label to use as an example. So if you've got the, the label of you an outstanding teacher, then you have to conform to that label at all times. So mm-hmm. when you're at night, at night time, when you're struggling with your work-life balance and you know that you should be doing something for yourself right now or seeing your kids or whatever, your label of you're an outstanding teacher holds you back and stops you from actually living your life because you're an outstanding teacher so you've got to mark these books and it's got to be perfect and it's you know because you can't be anything but this outstanding teacher and what I always say to people is reword the label get rid of it it's not if it's not serving you do something about it so an example of that could be um you know I sometimes teach to an outstanding level whatever outstanding means um (laughs) you know and it's that kind of thing of we sometimes we a lot of the time it's in our head and it's because we have put that pressure on ourselves or other people sometimes give us that label um so I know a lot of people who I've been working with suffer a lot from parent guilt Mm -hmm. and that is causing the mental health um poor mental health should I say and again it's looking at it from well you know what label do you want You, you know do you need to be an outstanding mother or could you be trying your best it's okay to try your best I'm trying my best I'm trying you know putting food on the table and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and it's it's about challenging those um those labels and those things that we carry and those unhelpful and limited beliefs we have about ourselves really yeah Um, because a lot of the time that will stop you from seeking help or from being true to yourself because you know even down to me as, as a head teacher. And I knew I never saw my kids. I knew that I never really saw them, even though they came to my school, which was amazing. I never really saw them as me, as mom. So I'd go in and I'd give them a little sneaky kiss on their heads and stuff. And I could do that when I was in the small school because we were small enough for me to go and bob into their classrooms and things. But actually being true to myself, 
it used to it used to pull at my heartstrings every day that I couldn't actually take them to class and be their mum pick mm. them up and be their mum they used to get go to, on a school bus um to and from school because that's sort of what happened in Dubai um and that that didn't sit well with my values it doesn't sit well with me but because at that point I was still had my labels of like mm. I'm a successful head teacher and I'm this and I'm that and I'm top of the class and all of these things that actually weren't in service of me at all and when I actually started to challenge them and I'd be like actually no I don't want to be that person I want to be successful and I want to do well and I want to support others but I also want to be a mum and I I could stand I could now stand in front of a thousand people and say I want to be a mum and that's important to me but if I, I don't think I could have done it a few years ago because being the successful head teacher and the successful um, educator and, and, and felt sort of more selfless. So I said that and I went with that one because, yeah. I, because I, you know, I'm a good girl and I want to help everybody and I want to support everybody and it's challenging it continuously. And, and even just hearing those words like, I'm an outstanding teacher, you know, I'm thinking about those words and and thinking about you and looking at you now saying that. And even I'm thinking, oh yeah, but there's no room for error there then, is there? No, not at all. You've got to be outstanding every day. And that's not even possible. Being an outstanding mother is not possible because there are going to be days when you're ill for a start. Even if, you know, you... I, I don't even know how it would be possible anyway for anyone to be so perfect but you're still going to have days when you're ill, when you're not going to be able to. When you've got to do other things, like that, there, yeah. there are things that you have to do. And sometimes the kids, you know, again, this could take me on a whole manner of things because a lot of the parent coaching I do is we look at sort of the basic needs of children and it helps parents with their sort of mum guilt and dad guilt and whatever. Cause they're like, Oh, Oh, okay. I mean, I'm doing a good job here. I'm trying my best. And, and that's all you can do. Um, but yeah, it's, honestly when I was um doing observations sort of towards the last couple of years it sort of his deputy head and his head we went down a route of not grading our teachers and not telling them what what they came out as and, and, and instead we very much adopted a coach approach where we would you know focus on their the good things about the lesson what went well sort of the wows and the nows you know what we'd like to work on and following like a um the model of sort of five positive areas to one area of criticism, we found that landed really well with the teachers because they were very much open. They knew that they were going to get five sort of positives and then one area for development. But I would always ask them first what they thought their area of development was. So it was very much like a coaching conversation, really. Mm. Um, And from that, they were happy with that. They didn't need to know if if it was a good or a satisfactory or an outstanding or whatever it was, because I've seen holdups from staff at the different levels. The person who gets good, who wants it to be outstanding is then just thinks they're not good enough because mm-hmm. it wasn't outstanding. They don't focus on the fact that it was amazing because it was good. And they don't focus on the five positive things you tell them because you're giving them a grade. Whereas if you remove the grade out of it, they'll focus on their positives. And and that's, for me, that's my sort of greatest tagline, really, from Positive You. I always say, process your positives. So we've got a jar in our house, and every day we put something positive in. That's happened, and it's 
because actually as, as humans how often do we focus on the negatives or brood over the negatives or the one thing that's not most gone our way yeah, or because someone's apparently looked at us the wrong way or maybe they have maybe they haven't we'll never know um yeah. whereas we don't process the positives so my positive this morning actually was walking the children to school walking past the frosty field and seeing the sheep on the field and I put it in the jar yeah we yeah we do have to remember those things it's about perception isn't it as well um perceiving those things as positive and also perceiving the upsides and the negative yeah as well as the downsides it's being mindful of what lens you've got on as well I think that's the other thing I would say to teachers out there is when when something happens or or if you're fe- think, thinking or feeling in a particular way take a step back and think what lens have I got on today have I got a positive lens on have I got a brooding lens on have I got a catastrophic lens on because you know those days where you you'll you start off and it's like the whirlwind gets bigger and bigger and you try and drag as many people as you as you can in because you'll talk to anyone and everyone who'll listen about what's happened or apparently what the head said did did didn't do whatever we've all been there um and actually just stopping and thinking oh what am I doing I'm creating a whirlwind or is this is this in service of me and I know I keep saying that but if you get into the habit of saying is this serving me to be in this whirlwind is it you know is this right for me yeah is it helpful um and, and actually now a lot of the clients i'll work with will tell me what lens they've had on in a particular week or on a particular day they'll become quite mindful of their lens and and what they're wearing so i've got some crazy pink glasses that i'll put on i'll be like look at these positive lens but it's not just the positive and negative it's being mindful of all the different lenses you can have on which you know there's thousands yeah yeah no i i completely agree um let's let's move to the closing four questions if you could um wave a magic wand how would you solve the life work balance problem um what i would do is i would say for teachers to be able to follow the scent of the students more and to be able to just do what they know is right by the students mm. um so you know if it's if it's planning on a post-it because that's all they need happy days if it's 100% verbal feedback happy days you know it, it really just felt being able to follow the center of the students in the lesson yeah and that would that would save a lot of stress wouldn't it as well because it would save a lot of time well I remember when I started you know I've all when I started planning years ago when I first started to teach the amount of boxes we had to fill in that I never read or never did anything about and it was very much a copy paste exercise or whatever honestly so then when I became deputy and head I purposely created the planning templates to to really suit what I thought because we were new schools there was no precedent set Mm. um to really just the basics because it was more of a jot your ideas down kind of thing because I was only employing professional people who were qualified teachers and so I put my faith in them that they would know what was right by the kids yeah yeah no I agree and what year did you qualify I qualified in 2007 all right yeah so very similar time to me and I remember um I can't even remember what it was called but it was this circle thing um but it was I had the one from the uni and then I transitioned to another one and this 
this big circle and you had to put something in every box. And I remember thinking actually when I did the circle one that I didn't know what to put in some of the boxes because as a, as a PGC student, I've never had to consider all those things. And I remember having something very similar, actually, because you used to only focus on certain areas, didn't you, when you were doing your PGCE? Oh, yeah. I remember the, the planning template when you were on your PGCE was so crazy. It was like pages long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was for one lesson. Yeah. It's just yeah. not realistic. It, there were like five columns going across, but you couldn't read it properly because, uh, you know, your starter would be on the left. And it'd just go down the page. And so you'd have to go page one, page two, page three, and then back to page one again. Brilliant. <laughs> just didn't make any sense at all. Do you know what? If you could cut all of the all of that stuff out, it would mean that teachers would be able to, to do that, you know, enjoy being in the classroom with the children, which is ultimately the most important thing anyway. Go home and enjoy doing whatever they do at home. Um, and then come in the next day not feeling like oh I've given this place so much of my time they come in the next day refreshed ready to see the kids again ready to teach being excited to be there and I think for me from the different schools that I've worked at around the world the ones where I've actually come in and I've been like yeah I'm here again really were the ones that had the work work life balance sorted really for the for their staff yeah yeah so that's that's an important message isn't it for for anyone who can make that happen um where do you think education is going to go in the next 10 years online <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. i hope not um i there's definitely a place for schools um there's definitely you know i think during lockdown and when the schools were obviously closed to some students during that time what the children missed out on was that social interaction and, and, and everything else that that school brings, not just sort of the the lesson, so to speak, or the learning objective. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I think lockdown is, is and, and COVID and everything is, is made some things move in the right direction with regards to sort of, you know, your, your Microsoft Teams and your Google Classroom for homework and things like that, if it's needed. But actually, um, I hope that teachers are given more autonomy to make decisions and actually be able to follow the centre of the children in their class and really cater for their needs. I think what lockdown has shown a lot of people is that everybody's got different needs. Yeah. And, and, you know, that saying, like, we're not all in the in the same boat, you know, people, and, and, and actually appreciating that teachers really need, need to know, know best and need to be allowed to do what they know best, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who was your favourite teacher at school and why? This is a, this is a funny story, really. My favourite teacher um, was Mrs Gale and she was my year two teacher. And I loved her dearly because she used to give you the time. She really invested time. She was there. She was present. She was in the moment. She was encouraging. She was supportive. And then randomly... Um, when I applied for my first ever teaching job, lo and behold, she was the head teacher at the school. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Did you get the job? I did. I did. And she's actually, she's like my men. Well, she's, she's a very good friend and she's mm -hmm. my mentor person now. So she's my person that I'll ring and say, can I come and have a cup or I just need to talk to you about a few things. So yeah, she's lovely. Really, really genuinely like really, puts the kids first and I think that's what I love about her 
Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. I know. I feel like the six-year-old in that in that class. But yeah, she's really. I always said if I could be like her as a teacher, you know, I'd be happy. And yeah, just really lovely lady, but generally interested in the children. Yeah, and and kind of you sort of followed her um, career in a way, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and and so random now. My little boy Henry is in the classroom now that I was in when I was in year two at that school. That is weird. Saying as wow. I've lived all over the world, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Where do you live now? In Staffordshire. Cool. I was just, I was thinking, do I recognise the accent? I'm not sure, um, but I don't. <laughs> it's a little bit, I think I've got a mix of an accent because I went to Union Sheffield Mm-hmm. And then I hung around sort of Manchester way. It sounds, it, yeah, that's what I was 20s. thinking. I think that's what it is. And then obviously being abroad as well, I've just got a little bit of a mix going on. Yeah. Um, so what did you want to be when you grew up? Mm, I, oh, do you know what? I wanted to be lots of things, but the, the I suppose the top, top couple of jobs, I, a dolphin trainer, because I used to love the film Free Willy. Mm-hmm and um, a fashion designer yeah I mean at any point you could probably just sidestep into either of those <laughs> I know definitely the dolphin trainer um and you know what it's, it's one of them because actually I wanted to go to uni to study fashion design and I suppose you know I was the first one in the family to go to uni and it was very much a you're not going to uni to do fashion design you'll do a proper subject was what I was told um, hence doing a law degree and mm-hmm. um, you know again if I could give my younger self some advice I'd say get rid of that label now because at that point I was carrying the whole you're the top of the class label yeah um, so apparently the person who's the top of the class has to go and study law and not and not become a solicitor um, but yeah you know fashion design I do love a little bit of fashion and yeah maybe I might uh, go be a dolphin trainer yeah you never know (laughs) oh dear no I think I think that's right and um I feel like I've been I've been studying a lot about values recently um and in that moment then when when you were carrying that label whoever was saying to you well no you can't go to uni and be a fashion designer had their values when we're trying to impose their values then on you which you accepted um it's so it's so interesting I find it so fascinating it is and we do it all the time and and it's things like you know I I won't say to my son as an example Eddie if he gets full marks in a spelling test so to speak I won't say oh well done that's because you're a clever boy I'll say well done that's because you've put effort into practicing so I will make a conscious effort now not to give him a label Mm. and you know and there'll probably be lots of people listening now thinking oh my gosh how many labels have I given to people through through the years but it's if you tell someone they're a clever boy then what happens when they they're not clever all of a sudden they're struggling with something yeah and then and then they and then they can't conform to their label and it's like oh my gosh what what's going on I'm not my label anymore yeah and, it, and we do it we do it to be kind you know we'll give someone a label and say oh you're a good boy that's the best like you're a good boy or a good girl well what happens when that good boy or good girl grows up 
and then actually doesn't want to let people walk all over them anymore or wants to stand up and say something or or confront somebody but they won't do it because they're a good girl or a good boy yeah it is easy for us to fall into that trap i think one example uh which which relates to this is um when i um so i didn't especially secondary school I'd, i i wasn't top of the class but i didn't find it hard it, it was fine um yet i remember um my dad always said my mum did not like driving my dad used to say, you like your mum, you won't like driving. Well, it was true when I came to learn. I was worried about it. But um, one of my first instructors, instructors when I was at uni, and um, he knew really, like, my lessons were going to be hit and miss because they were the holidays, and I wasn't there for that long. I was only at that particular uni for a year, the way that the course was structured. And so he wasn't interested in pushing me on. And so I used to just drive around this estate that had no cars, um, week after week after week and I think in the back of my mind I did think to myself well I don't seem to be progressing um, and then uh, like the lessons were hit and miss and I, and I finished that course and I, I came home and then I got a different driving instructor somebody who's like really well recommended my sister had, had learned to pass recently my younger sister that was an embarrassment um, and I remember sort of driving around and unlike the third lesson we're driving around you know the quiet streets and we were coming up to a junction and he said um he didn't tell me to break or anything and then just as we got there he went are you not going to break and I went oh yeah and I was really surprised because I just thought well it's his fault because he didn't tell me that I needed to go into second gear and then I needed to break and he said to me he was like if you're going to learn to drive you're going to have to start thinking for yourself brilliant and I thought Oh my word. And and at the time I'd just started te teaching. Um, so I just finished my PGCE um, and I, I was part-time in a school and I thought it's weird because he's a teacher, but he's teaching, it, sorry, he's an instructor. I'm a teacher, but he's teaching me now about being a teacher and I have to sort of take responsibility for myself. I can't expect somebody else to do it. And I think that's a really, really important point that we have to we have to take the responsibility and, and the reason I think why I struggled with that was because I never found anything difficult I had that label of well learning is easy for me and I said to him actually I'm finding this a bit difficult because driving is not that easy for me yeah not not like I thought um the rest of school was and I'm actually gonna have to work a bit harder at this and he were like yeah I see that a lot <laughs> isn't it interesting because I have very similar story about driving so I was 17 and obviously really eager to, to, to have the lessons and up until that point from a schooling perspective I'd found school easy should yeah. I say um was again carried the label top of the class bright naturally clever I think was one of them I carried at the time and I then went for these lessons and, and went for my first ever test and well, obviously it didn't go that well. Yeah. And uh, it made me ill. And I had to, I went home and went to bed and cried like this state of learned helplessness. And I, my mum got caught in my whirlwinds and brought me, I'm sure she bought me a teddy or something random. And I remember it being like a really weird looking teddy from the post office, but she bought <laughs> me a teddy. I think that was the teddy one. 
let's just say I failed four times. So I had numerous gifts along the way. And she, again, got caught in my whirlwind of me blaming everything except myself as to why I hadn't passed. And I think the reason that I, it hit me so hard was because the test and the results of the test didn't sit with my labels. So, mm. well, I'm top of the class. So why am I, why have all my mates passed, but I'm not passing mm. or, you know, I'm naturally clever. Well, well, I'm not naturally, you know, now I'm not naturally clever. And it was, it was because all of these labels were being challenged and yeah. It honestly it really affected me I think the first time I was in bed for three days like it absolutely floored me and that went on continuously and I you know I was processing it so externally like I, I had such an external locus of control it was always about everybody else's fault mm-hmm. you name it it was the instructor for not being clear enough or it was too foggy or there was a hesitant driver in front or they've passed too many people that day I think I used that one quite a few times yeah. but at no point did I reflect on well what you know walk away from it and think right okay what do I need to do to to improve or, or which areas do I need to work on at no point did I apply that to it because I'm naturally clever and I'm top of the class you know and I should find this easy yeah. because I'm a natural learner and all, all of that so then on the fifth test which I am pleased to say I passed I then still processed it externally so at that point I said I'd passed because he felt sorry for me that's the story I was telling until about five years ago. Interesting. Isn't it interesting? Really interesting. I actually passed the first time, but my theory, I failed three times and it was a similar thing. I was like, but why, why have I not passed? Because I passed tests. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's crazy. And I remember after the second time thinking, I really need to figure out why I'm not passing. And I think it was a whole hazard perception thing, which really confused me because I was like, I'm a clicking too early. I don't know if I'm clicking too early. <laughs> Do you know what though? I was I was actually telling this this driving story to a group of students that I'm working with at the moment from a well-being perspective at a, a local college, and it was really making me laugh because the, literally about half an hour before I was working with them last week, it took me three attempts to to um, park in the bay on the car park. So I was like, obviously, with regards to my driving ability, we're still practicing. We're still getting there. You know, each day is a challenge, but we're we're having a go and putting effort in. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's it's crazy, isn't it? I think a lot of people driving is one of those things that um, is sort of a, a moment that a lot of people will remember. Because I don't think I can sort of tell you much about sort of how I felt doing A-levels or anything around that age. Yeah. But the driving was the definite thing that made me really reassess, but also challenged me and I didn't like it part of me wonders as well for driving I think I mean there might be people in the middle but you either struggle with it more or or you find it really easy and I know that my husband like he found it really easy and he he loves driving but it's a completely different way of learning isn't it it's a completely different thing to learn so I think for people like us who were saying oh well school was quite easy and I was quite happy to sit in a classroom and be learning passively and then you have to get in a car and demonstrate that learning while somebody's watching instead of writing it out and editing it before somebody sees it that's that's a lot of pressure isn't it but I think you know again my my key thing and I suppose this is you know if anyone's got any children sort of high school age or younger um all I would say is encourage them to process all the effort they've put in because actually I didn't just 
do well in my GCSEs because I was naturally clever because of my label. I did well because I was really studious. I went to school most days. Mm. I did all my homework. I revised. I think from the age of two, my mum was reading books with me. Like it didn't just happen. It happened because of everything that all of the legwork that had been put in and all of the effort, either from me or from my parents growing up. And I just think that's why I I as a mum now and, and with my clients, we get people to stop and think of it from a more internal perspective of like, what did I do to make this happen or to make this yeah. not happen? Like, you know, what effort did I put in? So, you know, the young people I'll work with, I'll say, you know, what, what did you, what effort did you put in? Say they were, say they're worried about a maths test result and it'll turn it around from, I'm worried about getting my maths grade to, I, I try my best. I put loads of effort in. I'm sure I'll do well. And it is that kind of thing of rather than sort of the outcome of I want a pass or I want an A or whatever it is. Um, but it's the same with head teachers that I work with and teachers. It, it's again, processing the effort you've put in rather than this outcome of like, I suppose, like an observation or something like getting outstanding. And, and you know, like yeah. the pressure on heads with regards to Ofsted and everything. Process your effort rather than the outs- the Ofsted outcome. And I know, it's easier said than done but actually Mm. if you look at your efforts that's a better thing to go off and and more powerful to you whereas what Ofsted decide on the day is a little bit out of your hands sometimes oh absolutely and 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 you just don't know how it's gonna go no especially when you're working with so many unpredictable young ones (laughs) exactly well what do they say don't ever work don't ever work with children or animals so exactly <laughs> so maybe I should have gone down the fashion design route because a dolphin trainer could have also been unpredictable oh I feel like that's in your future though <laughs> <laughs> well it's been such a lovely chat I feel like um we've we've gone so off topic at times but it's been really helpful I think just um I hope that our own reflections can can help teachers sort of uh, you know, and head teachers, all educators step back and, and and reflect on their own sort of lives and circumstances and and just start to think about where they could possibly make changes to start maybe having a better life-work balance or um, thinking of themselves more kindly or anything like that. So thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Hayley shared three pointers to give some thought and time to us. So, this week, try and do each of the following things. Number one, listen to yourself. Talk about what you need to talk about and if needs be, talk it to death. Number two, be true to yourself and your values. Spend some time contemplating what they might be. What do you always find time for? Search online and see if you can find a free tool to take a values assessment. And number three, Try something new. So this could be a new working routine to find your most efficient times in order to ultimately cut down your overall working time. A new recipe, especially if it might give you more energy. A new Zoom class or a new activity. Haley and I would love to know how you get on trying out these small tweaks this week. And we'd love to know if they work for you and ultimately if they stick. You'll find everything that Haley and I talked about in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP on Instagram, The Teacher's Podcast, on Facebook, The Teacher's Podcast, or also on Facebook, join me in The Teacher's Podcast community. I also really appreciate reviews on the podcast 
and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.